Thanks, Caden. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm an elder and pastor here at Resonate. Glad you're with us this morning uh, again, as I'm up here again. Um, uh, we are hopefully finishing up uh, the series in the Psalms uh, today as we uh, kind of wrap our time. And uh, we have a bit of a longer psalm. I'll read through it, but um, we'll approach it a little bit differently. We're going to talk about songs and singing and, and things like that in it, uh, as well. Uh, but let me read uh, Psalm 145, and then, uh, and then we'll dive in. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All the works shall give you thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your, glory, your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his works and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So I want to open with an actual question for us. What is the purpose of music? Like, what is, what is music for? Like, we watch movies and they get underscored with music. There's musical theater where people act out things, but they sing as part of it. There's songwriting all over the place. Like, what is music for? What is, what is its purpose? What is its goal? Why does it exist? Emotion, yeah, certainly music will have emotional ties to it. Sad songs sound sad, happy songs sound happy, things like that, or underscoring music. You could certainly uh, reflect the, the, the feel. Connection, was that what I heard over there? Yeah, yeah, there's certainly a sense of connection, shared musical experiences with others. Maybe like you're at a concert and everybody's experiencing singing the song together with the performer. What else was over here? Exaltation, yeah, so um, certainly, certainly in stuff we're going to talk about today, there's exaltation of God, but um, people, people even, you go to a sporting event and you are chanting or singing the fight song or something like that, that's an exaltation of the team. What else? What was that? Translate. Oh yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about that too, like how uh, sometimes it actually helps the, a, a storyteller tell that much more than words uh, just can't do. What was that? Surrender, yeah. So there's, there's a, probably a spectrum of exaltation, surrender, uh, celebration, sadness, and all those different things that, that can be a part of what song and music can bring out of us as humans. 
Help us remember, yeah, we talked about that in the first service too. There's some memory part of things that, um, that's why a lot of times we'll teach kids scripture through song and stuff like that. And most of us can remember thousands of song lyrics yet struggle to <laughs> memorize a lot of this uh, unless we've heard it in song in some ways. Yeah, it helps with memory quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think music has that ability to express what the heart sometimes doesn't know fully how to express or uh, that just doesn't get expressed in just spoken word. Like, I could be moved by spoken word, but I certainly could be moved by music. That, that there's an interior, incommunicable part of our emotions that, and, and longings. The way that sometimes words just get attached to melody just brings something else out, that we can cry at certain songs and we can celebrate and dance around. Like there's even research, like if you play like a, a faster energetic song, you drive faster. Um, it, it just causes us to, to sort of react. There's something very natural about that experience. Uh, Clarice Lispector, she's a, a Brazilian who um, writes about songwriting and she's got an incredible book, but it says, uh, she says this, what I say to you is never what I say to you, but something else instead. It captures the thing that escapes me and yet I live from it. And she's talking about writing songs and she's like, you know what, the words, the words aren't enough. Like I never quite capture exactly what I want with just the words, but when I write the song, then I encapsulate, then it captures everything I meant. And it's the language of the heart, the sort of universal language too, right? There's a connectivity that comes from music. So if you go overseas and you're with someone who maybe doesn't speak a lick of English, but then you bring up Michael Jackson, like, Suddenly you can kind of have this moment of connection to be like, all right, let's talk about Beat It. And, and they know it and you know it and they don't maybe even understand what Michael Jackson's singing about, but there's this connectivity in that moment about how songs can kind of work that way. And why do we sing? So not just music, but like, why, why do we sing? It's the purpose of singing. And I would say one of the main reasons why we sing is that we're created in the image of a God who sings. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17 says this, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you in gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. And so we, we're created in the image of a God who sings. And not only that, but every single time the heavens seem to be opened up in scripture, what happens? What's going on? There's a bunch of, yeah, angels and creatures, and they're all singing, whether they're singing holy, 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 or maybe we get the picture of, of the new heaven and new earth, and, and everybody's singing the song about the Lamb of God who is slain. There's always this sort of singing in God's presence. So even when we gather here and sing on a Sunday, what we're doing is just joining in to what's already happening in sort of the, the supernatural world 24-7. Like, there's always singing going on, and every time we gather here, we're like, let's, let's go join in with the chorus that's already being sung, and let's sing those things with the supernatural world. And so we sing. And not only that, but, but God's people were instructed. It says, enter his presence with singing. So when we come and we expect to be in the presence of God, we do so in singing. That's partly why we open up with singing. Now, I, I will tell a little bit of my testimony, but I have just a weird experience with, like, church and music. Um, I didn't grow up in church, so I missed out on all the wonderful hits of the 90s. Um, and, um, I mean, I knew Jars of Clay was a Christian crossover band, um, and I knew a little bit about Amy Grant, and that was probably the full extent of it. Baby Baby and Flood. Those, that's the Christian songs I knew, um, and then I certainly knew Jesus Christ Superstar. And so, that was Christian music to me, for the most part. And then in college, I come to faith uh, at WashU in St. Louis, and, um, 
And, uh, and so um, the, the other piece that I always had was like choral music. I was involved in choir in, in high school, did university choir. So I knew a lot of worship songs in Latin, uh, which is not the most helpful either. But uh, I come to faith and I start participating in a few churches nearby. Um, and most of them, I'm, I'm the youngest person by about 50 years. Um, they were old churches. It was robes. It was very traditional music, um, which I appreciated the traditional music, but I still, I didn't know contemporary Christian music very well. And then I went to a local bookstore and um, right in the entranceway, they had these signs and it was like equivalents. So if you like 311, you'll love Pax 217, which is like this other Christian band that sounded exactly like 311. Um, it was just a straight ripoff. Or if you like um, the ska music, you'll love the OC Supertones or something like that. And so um, you had this sort of musical equivalence. So I got exposed to these Christian kind of knockoff bands. Um, and, and so that was a whole new world to me as well. And then while um, I was kind of a new Christian, I had made friends with a few students who were part of the, the Catholic Student Center at WashU. And the Pope, John Paul II, was coming to St. Louis that year. And so they were having this big youth rally and they're like, why don't you come, Chris? And I'm like, sure, I, I'm, I don't think I'm Catholic, um, but, but sure, I'll come. And so we all go to, to the TWA Center, wherever, somewhere, it's one of the St. Louis arenas. I know TWA doesn't exist anymore, but for those of you who are from Missouri, you're like, yes, TWA. Um, and I go, and there's some opening acts before opening up for the Pope, and, um, which is great. It was an experience. They were selling like Pope on a rope um, that were soaps shaped like the Pope, um, and then popsicles shaped like a Pope called popsicles. Um, <laughs> so it was a thing. And then the opening acts were DC Talk, which was new to me, uh, the OC Supertones, which was like ska Christian music, and uh, Rebecca St. James, who was like, female pop singer-songwriter. And so that was like really my first experience. It's like, oh, like Christian bands, like there's a whole arena of people singing these songs. And, and so um, I got to hear and got to kind of step into that. But like, it still was never quite my thing. And, and I got involved in campus ministry and there were contemporary worship songs that were playing. But even then I'm like, this isn't I don't love, I don't love some of this music. It's just not my favorite music in the world. I even had like a non-Christian band in my 20s because I had no interest in like the Christian songwriting world. It wasn't, wasn't my interest. And, and I struggled. I struggled with enthusiasm related to music and, and church and in parachurch sort of ministry settings. Like I would play it, but I just struggled to really love it or have enthusiasm for it. And to even have enthusiasm as I experienced worship. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, though, says a dislike of enthusiasm could be one of the greatest hindrances to revival. And sometimes in the disposition I started finding my heart in, finding myself in, was a little bit of like the cynicism towards some of these things. But at the same time, like God has this tremendous love for music and, and praise music in some ways. That's not saying the quality of our current praise music is wonderful, but God has a tremendous love for music and praise for him. Josh Porter, or Josh White, who's a pastor in Portland, he says that like regarding singing and songs in church, he says it's the right place in the service to feel deeply. That certainly we could feel deeply about the preached word and stuff like that, but, but there's something about music that should be moving our emotions along. And in the world of Psalms, like, we have a whole book with a whole lot of chapters in it that are, that are meant to be sung. They're songs. They are, they are poetry written for the singing of God's people. So as we've covered these songs, like, we have to remember like, 
these, these are songs meant for singing. And, and so what do we really think about singing? And, and what does this Psalm, Psalm 145, really speak about as well? Because um, there's a lot of words that are used here. And, and there are words, there are, there are seven different words we translate in Hebrew, from Hebrew, and they get called the word praise. Um, and, and so we take what is a vast array of ideas and concepts and put them into one word called praise. It's the same problem we have sometimes with the word love. Uh, if you understand how the Greek works, um, we have an English word for love that encompasses a whole breadth of things, uh, but the Greeks would have very specific things like phileo love, which is like a love of brothers and sisters, like a very uh, friendship type love versus like agape love, which is like a, the sacrificial kind of love. And so you have words that carry with them a lot of different meanings that sometimes we distill into just a few English words. And praise is like that. And there's seven different ones. And this, this psalm alone includes six of those seven different terms. Now, the ESV has done a pretty good job. Uh, they don't just do praise. They sometimes will include different phrases, which is wonderful. Um, and we'll talk about that. But I want to unpack this idea today. So we're not going to be as exegetical. We're not going to necessarily walk line by line. But since we're talking about songs, we're talking about singing, we're talking about worship, I really want to talk through some of these words that we do have in this psalm and we have out the psalms of the way that God calls his people to praise. Because this psalm is kind of repetitive, there's very similar ideas, but we're called time and time again to offer up a certain kind of praise with different Hebrew words. So I want to look at a few of those words today. And the first is the word yada. Now, this is a general human experience, right? Who's my Atlanta United fans in the room? We got a few of y'all. Okay, Almiron scores a goal. What do you do? You're in the stadium. Yeah, you, you stand up out of your seat, you put your hands in the air, everybody's excited, you start high-fiving everyone around you. It is a tremendous moment. You, you start cheering. This is sports in general, but you just start cheering. You start um, um, putting your hands up. There's something about a very natural physical emotion because you go across the globe and you look at stadiums. And that is what happens when someone scores a goal. It, it is something about how we're hardwired that our hands go up and we extol. And, and so we have a word for that. We have an actual Hebrew word, which is to, uh, this yada, the extended hand, to throw the hand up. Therefore, to worship with an extended hand. It's actually the same word used for throwing a spear, this sort of extending of the arm. And so you have this word uh, throughout a lot of the Psalms, but you have it here, verse 10, all your works yada you. There's something about what God has created that is meant to respond and particularly for us as humans, with hands raised. Now, I have a weird relationship with that. Uh, certainly when I came to faith, like the idea of raising my hands in worship was not something I immediately moved to and had been sort of in choral settings, and so it just wasn't my thing. I just hadn't really experienced it a lot. And then I did campus ministry, and a few people did it here and there, but, but it wasn't the mass of people. And then I moved here, um, and I had attended a sort of like... Um, it was like a parachurch ministry for a long time. And um, they did like a summer series of concerts at uh, Church of the Apostles, which is Our Lady of I-75. If you've seen it, it's this beautiful church um, right along the highway. Um, no one found that, that line funny. Um, but this beautiful church along I-75. And um, they had this evening events where it was like tremendous modern worship. Um, and it was probably the most like sort of charismatic setting I'd stepped into. Uh, and so the bands were amazing. The, the, the songs they chose undergirded a tremendous message. And there were people like spinning around in the aisles and people doing all sorts of different things. And, but, but there was sort of this uninhibited moment that um, felt a little bit refreshing given some of the environments I'd been to. And so at some point, I was, like the, the worship's going along and the, 
and out of a genuine heart reaction, not, not just going like, everybody's doing this, and I feel like I need to, but at some point my hands like got here, right? First step one, which is no one's noticing yet, but they're just kind of here. And then as the music progressed, and I was like, I'm just responding to some of the lyrics that are being sung, eventually I moved further up, but one-handed, not, not both yet, and kind of still not fully extended and just getting into it. But then like, just what was happening and what was being sung and like something in my heart, the way that God was moving, it just moved to just that extension. And, and for the first time, I mean, felt really comfortable, really natural to, to just respond this way in worship and, and moving towards that. Eventually, I like, it just didn't care. Like I couldn't help myself. This is what felt natural. I felt so stirred in that moment. And maybe you've never walked through that yet. Or maybe you remember when you first did, but yeah, and maybe today. Like, we've got songs coming up on the back end. Like, God has said, like, yada. Like, this is one of the ways that he is praised, that we respond to him, is through the body and through the hands. The next word is halal, um, which is, if you look at the word praise from English to, to, to to Hebrew, the more likely term you're going to find underneath it is halal. It happens the most. It's where we get hallelujah. Uh, it's that, that word. And it means to rave or to shine, to boast, to show, celebrate, uh, all these things, or to, clamor, uh, to be clamorously foolish or act madly. Uh, so when you think of um, in the Old Testament when David starts dancing around in his underwear, like that is the idea, this sort of acting madly in that moment, the sort of... Um, heavily emotional response that we tend to think of sometimes when we talk about these subjects. And so verse three, great is the Lord and greatly to be halal. Like, God, you are so great. You are worthy of us just being crazy about you. Um, and it's something like we, we almost misunderstand the word halal, right? Like, or hallelujah, because we use it in such kind of flippant ways, right? I paid off all my debt. Well, hallelujah for that. But essentially we're saying, and we should act crazy and dance around for that fact. Like that is the response in that moment. That's the idea. Now imagine like ancient Israel, you have the Levites, which is one of the tribes and they're all over Israel and there's 32,000 of them at one point. And David sets apart 4,000 of them to be musicians. Like more than 10% of all this group of people, 4,000 to be musicians for the temple system and for uh, the community of faith. So when they all come to town for the festivals and things like that, you had thousands of musicians that would play for the people and they would celebrate. I think sometimes we have this idea of like ancient religious people being very cold and kind of cold nature, kind of hands in pockets, whatever it is. But that's so not the picture I think we get from scripture. Every time they had a festival, they would come and dance and celebrate. Even today, sometimes we still have this, but it's sometimes really not true. Like... Um, Growing up how, where I grew up and how I grew up, I mean, a lot of my friends were, were Jewish. And so I've been to a few Jewish weddings in my 20s and um, got, to, got to celebrate with my friends. And these, these weddings are, like, special. Like, at some point, sitting down at the table becomes this, like, op, like it's not optional uh, at certain moments in the ceremony or in, in, the, in the reception. And so at some point, you are linking arms with like total strangers and you're all swaying and dancing around and chanting while uh, the, the, the new husband and wife are being lifted up and all this kind of stuff. It becomes this like collective cultural party. 
And I think that's very much this idea of halal, this sort of collective cultural just celebration and dancing around. Uh, Psalm 69, I will halal the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. So even the psalmist going, you know what would really please the Lord? Like, yes, we can sacrifice just how he told us to sacrifice. We can bring him bulls and goats, and sure, that would please the Lord. You know what would please him even more? If we just got, if we were just celebratory for him. That would please him even more. That's what the psalmist is saying. Or Psalm 150, this is the close of the Psalms. This is the very last line of the book of Psalms. It ends with this, let everything that has a breath halal the Lord, and then repeats it. Halal the Lord. Celebrate, show praise, rave, shine for, shine the Lord. And I wonder at times that the Lord looks down, particularly in sort of our dignified Western, let's really name it, predominantly white churches, um, and, and particularly ones that aren't charismatic uh, in some ways, and thinks, oh, you're missing out. You're missing out on, on all that you could have in your worship. And I'm not saying we turn full charismatic. There's things to critique in that direction too. But, but I think sometimes, I mean, just to be real about our church, there's a lot of like standing around. And in here, it comes from the leadership too. It's a lot of standing, arms crossed, whatever it may be. But yet God's saying here, like, this is part of the praise that you would just celebrate. And it's really hard to celebrate like this. It just is. Someone scores a goal in the soccer game and I stand like this, it would look like I'm the fan of the other team. And hopefully we're not fans of the other team when we're worshiping God. <laughs> and the last is, uh, the next one is sabach. It's a good way to clear your throat on a Sunday morning. Sabach. Um, it's to address in a loud tone or to commend, to triumph, to exclaim, to glorify, extol, shout. Um, like the shout of praise, the exuberant statements as to the excellence of someone. So this is shouting. This is just being roarous about it. So verse four, one generation sabachs your works to another and shall declare your mighty act. Or one generation to the next generation speaks of just the goodness or the promises or the faithfulness of God, just speaks to all that God has done. Now we as a church have the adults in here and the kids over in another section. And, and um, the stereotype is that the kids like, there's joy and there's all sorts of stuff going over here and this is a little more subdued. But this psalm should actually speak to the opposite of that. That we, the older generation, would speak to the younger generation and be like, you don't know how good this God is. Like, I need you guys to know just how good it is and mighty works that he has done and the ways that Jesus has saved us from our sins and the way that the Holy Spirit has worked in this community and brought about all these different things and, and to commend and to speak to another generation and to speak those things. That is what it, it's sort of talking about here. And there's another piece and another layer to it. And it's sort of this beauty of, um, I think, the diversity of the community, uh, community as well. And we see this in other psalms, like Psalm 95. Uh, we're told to, to sort of sing, and, and, and it's proclaimed sing, uh, to the families of the nations. Um, and I think that's specific. It's not just to the nations, but to the families. Like, all the different units of people and all the different tribes and all the different makeups. And even from generation to generation, there's something unique of the different groups of people that have different experiences, that there's suddenly a unity that comes from those sort of things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about a lot of this in Life Together. He, he talks about song for, for a section of his book. And he says, our song on earth is speech. It is the song word. Why do Christians sing when they are together? 
And he says the reason is, quite simply, because in singing together, it is possible for them to speak and to pray the same word at the same time. In other words, because here, they can unite in the word. It elucidates the word and its mystery. And that all singing together that is right must serve to widen our spiritual horizon. So the music, even singing, serves the greater uh, proclamation of the word. Make us see our little company as a member of the great Christian church on earth and help us willingly and gladly to join our singing, to be it feeble or good, to the song of the church. And so um, Bonhoeffer saying, like, what, what singing also brings about is this unique unity to who we are. That people walk into a space from different backgrounds. And so your week might have been just hell on earth. It, it might have just been harsh and difficult and suffering and all this sort of stuff. And other people's weeks weren't that. You may walk in here with a certain cultural background, other people with a different cultural background. We might walk in here with different generations. And yet, we can come in and roar and commend the Lord together. There's a unity. The same thing as sporting events or concerts. Like all these different people from different backgrounds, yet coming together and, and celebrating together. And when we gather with multiple generations, multiple backgrounds, and sing as one, there's this unique collective experience in that. And so, um, and then you get like things like Isaiah 42, where it says the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up zeal. It's very warlike language. He cries out. He sabaks. He roars. He shows himself mighty against his foes. And so there's this natural sort of roar that happens in worship, the sort of um, thing that happens. And hear me, once again, this is inherent in who we are. I'm going to show you a video. And this video is about people roaring. And there's a reason that people are roaring. Because they're Cubs fans. And they have spent 100 years not watching their team win a World Series. Like, generations have come and gone, and, and they've just been sad, just watching their team not win at all. And, and this time, I know there's a lot of sports analogies today, but hear me. Men, we are the ones who struggle the most with some of these things. And so, um, so the Cubs are, are finally on the verge of winning it all. And so here's a video of that moment uh, in, in, in time. Good old Bill Murray working himself into the Cubs celebration. <laughs> but you have like this moment. And if you've been in a stadium or something like that, like when someone's, everybody just cheer, like they, they don't just put their hands up. There's a, there's a loud roar that comes out in that moment. There's a verbal response because of what has happened, because there is victory, because uh, the team has beaten the other team, because the work that has happened on the field has been accomplished and there's victory. And we come in to hear this place. And Jesus has committed a, that much more of a victory where he's defeated sin and death and hell and Satan by his work on the cross. And he is ruling and reigning for this new heaven and new earth and inviting us in and finds a way to, to reconcile us back through him, through his blood, so that we would be sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. Yeah. 
we should roar. Like if anyone has reasons to bach, it's God's people. It's not just about not winning the World Series for 100 years. It's so much bigger than that. And we should celebrate that. Churches should be known for a holy roar in some ways. And that's just not what I feel most Sundays. And hear me, I'm, I'm, I'm taking some of the blame to that. I help shape the church. Like, this is something that, that we have to learn and, 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 and learn to understand and what that actually looks like. But in unison, to rise up and declare all that God has done. God, you have the victory, and we want to give you the cheer for that. And the next word is the mar. Um, and this has a very instrumental understanding of it. It's to touch or to pluck the strings, and it's used in instrumental worship. It's really interesting reading about the history of the church, because at one point in the ancient world, you weren't allowed to read the Psalms without instrumentation. Um, so if there was a reading of the Psalms publicly, there had to be a musician playing. Whether the Psalms are sung or not, there just had to be a musician playing. And I know some of you, it's like, well, that's emotionally manipulating, right? I don't like when the musicians come up while someone's still speaking and underplays it, and it feels like they're manipulating my emotions by being all uh, deep with their pads in the background or something like that. Well, maybe it's not manipulation. Maybe it's just biblical, but um, it's so fascinating. And hear me, I understand. There's emotional manipulation that happens in church. I'm not trying to be totally flippant. But I love, there's a story of Israel's history in 2 Kings. Um, and, and they're deliberating. The Israelites are deliberating. Should we go to war against these people? What should we do? And, and can someone hear from God? Can someone give us a word? And Elisha shows up in 2 Kings uh, 3. He says, bring me a harpist. Uh, bring me a musician in, in, uh, in our English. And then when the music plays, the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream, uh, stream bed full of pools. So Elisha comes along and says, where are my musicians at? We want a word from the Lord, like, where, where, where is the stringed instruments? I want to say something from the Lord. I, I, where are those who would bring music? And I think that's the idea for Zamar, that we are musical creatures in some ways. Like, it's a cultural norm globally that we would make music. It's, it's just something that every culture does, no matter where you go. That we make music. And God does something through melody, and God does something through sound. And God created music at the end of the day so that we would praise him. That's, that's the goal of it all, but to elicit that sort of response in us. And then uh, the next word is todah. Um, and it's, once again, there's an extending of a hand in adoration. There's a, there's a hand movement physical act here. Uh, but the usage of this throughout uh, a lot of the, uh, the Old Testament is, um, is often thanking God for things not yet received as much as sometimes for things that have been received. That, that there's a bit of an act of worship to raise your hand in sacrifice or, or praise in, in a way that is through the hurt and pain or through the struggle. Like worshiping in the midst of marriage trouble or worshiping in the midst of, of healing that you're asking for that's still not coming or worshiping in the midst of a lack of provision that you want God to provide or worshiping in the midst of a relationship that's troubled and you want reconciliation. And in some ways, when we come into worship, like, we're not playing games. Like, it's just not like a time filler. Hey, we need to fill the first 20 minutes while everybody comes in late. Like, that's not the goal of why we do music. It's so much bigger than that, including this word that 
people come in here and they raise their hands and, and they don't fully understand the, the, the scope of it or why God has them there and God hasn't given answers and the community doesn't give answers because we don't have them either. And yet standing there with hands raised, something, look, God, there's something in my life I'm not seeing. There's something in my life I'm struggling with. But by faith, I, I know you hear it. By faith, I know you can understand it. And I, I just, I'm still gonna worship. And some of you are asking God for things specific, like, God, you're my provider. I'm recognizing that I'm, I'm in your hands. That's not beyond your care or control or power. I don't know why I'm in what I'm in, but God, I will worship. I recognize that you're in control and I'm not. And it's pressing in by faith in a way that we worship. That's todah. Or Psalm 50, 23, it says, the one who offers thanksgiving or as a sacrifice glorifies me. But the Hebrews, it's condensed there. It's whoever offers tada glorifies me as opposed to thanksgiving as a sacrifice. And to the blameness, he says, I will show salvation. I would argue that this is one of the areas uh, where, one of the many areas, I think, where the black church in America can really teach the rest of the churches. I just think it is. Because, I mean, you interact with particularly historically black worship is so much of this. God, we're not seeing it yet, but God, we're still looking to you. God, we may not have what the world, uh, the world as we want it now, the kingdom is not fully here and, and we're suffering and we're struggling, but we still have you as a provider. And we're gonna rise up because this is not the end. We're gonna lift up our hands and believe and declare in faith that you are greater than this world. Your kingdom is better than what we're experiencing. And to worship that way, that is to Because guess what? That's the Israelites' position most of the time, right? Their years of prospering is, is small compared to the rest of the Old Testament, right? And you gotta imagine so much of their praise and worship had to be like this too to sit there in Babylon, to sit there in captivity, to sit there and wonder what's going to happen, that their temple's been destroyed, their nation's been scattered, and they're sitting there going, God, we don't know how you're going to restore this. We don't know when we're actually going to get home. We, we don't know how this is going to play out, but God, we know we're still in your hands. It's a ta-da that way. And some of you come in here, and that is your reality this morning. And then Barak, um, which is to kneel down or to bow or to salute, to bless God as an act of adoration. And for those of you that are less like super expressive, you're like, ah, I like this one a little better. Um, it's a little more quiet. Um, but it carries with it the idea almost um, like a king, being in the presence of a king. So if you're in a room and the king comes walking in, um, out, of, out of respect, you actually were to look at the king, but you were to change your body to, to be respectful or to honoring of that king. And I think that idea even carries with it for us too, that we would come in this place and have our eyes fixed on the king. And I think too often we get distracted by the other things. Um, and I will, I'm preaching to myself fully on this one. The sort of like, ah, oh, this song again. Or man, I, I miss drums and we're just kind of mellow week in and week out. God, please, I just want something different. But to change that so that our eyes are fully on the king and that the music, whatever it is, is background music to our worship. Like, it could be anything. It could be Jesus Loves Me. It could be the most energetic gospel song that's out right now. It could be the reflective 
Hillsong, whatever. It, it could be all that. And we can go, you know what? I'm good because I got my eyes on the king. Verse two, it says, every day I bless you, I brock you and praise your name forever and ever. So there's an everydayness to it. It's not just corporate worship. Or in Psalm 95, oh, come, let us bow down. Uh, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before. Let us brock the Lord, our maker. And the last word is uh, tehillah or tehillah. Um, it's this word of praise, a song of praise, a new song often. I get connected with this. Um, and Psalm 145 actually begins and ends with this word. So the header at the top is uh, a tequilah of David. Uh, and then at the end, it says, my mouth will speak the tequilah of Yahweh, the, the, the song of praise to Yahweh. Um, and this often carries with it a responsive sort of moment. Um, so there are songs that we sing that are passed down, that we sing because other people wrote them. They're written outside of our church, our context, whatever it is. And we sing them and they're true and they're wonderful. There's something wrong with them. But then there are songs that like just come out of this moment of response to God. And, and I think that's very much this idea. So um, good Bible trivia. Anybody know where the first like song pops up in scripture? Like certainly Adam has some poetry for Eve, but when's the first time people sing together in scripture? Anybody know? Yeah, the Red Sea. Who said that? Wonderful, good job. Oh, the seminary student, of course. Um, <laughs> coming through the Red Sea. And on the other side, the Israelites in Exodus 15, they all get together. And it's a whole chapter of them singing. whole chapter of them breaking out song. And then the women, everybody, they're all singing. They're all composing a song. It feels like in real time together. All that God has done is celebrating their warrior God, all this kind of stuff. And, and, they, and they celebrate. It's a new song coming from a fresh movement of God's grace in their lives and they're busting out in song. And we find the same throughout the Psalms, that they are responsive to what God has done, this gracious moves of God. And so to this day, I think songwriters still write songs because they've experienced God's mercy and grace and his provision, whatever it is in a certain way, and they pen and write us a new song. They tequila a song. And we would, my hope is that we would do the same. It's like an overflow out of the faith community that we would get together and go, here are the tremendous things that God has done. God has healed marriages here. God has healed people of their hurt and trauma. God has taken people from death to life and made them new. Or God has, he's done these tremendous things and we're going to sing about them. And so our hope is like, even as songwriters in this church or something like that, we have songs that are of our people. Because, hear me, like, we use that phrase, um, and it's very King James to say God inhabits the praises of our people. It comes from Psalm 22 that says, uh, you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. And I think in some ways, like, and, and in there is the tequila, the, the, the praises of his people, that, that there's something about the community having this natural response to God and singing that God dwells. It's like he looks there and goes, you know what? I can set up camp there. I can have, like, that's where I'll set up my throne is when my people see what I do and continue to sing. I can build and dwell there. And some of that's personal too. Like, you may not be the best singer, but... There might be this opportunity to just be driving in your car and just break out like Buddy the Elf style in song, right? Like I'm in the car and God, you're so good and you've done these amazing things for me, like just to sing. And like God loves it, no matter how you sing. So let me close just with these two things. Um, first, you may say like, that's good for you, Chris, or whatever, but that's just not my personality. Um, but I want to be clear, and, and I bring this up humbly because I've walked through this experience myself. 
that on some level, like these are commands of God. Like the people of God are commanded to offer praise in these ways. And we don't do that with anything else. We're not like, you know what, a life of purity, that's not really my personality, right? We don't justify in other directions, but we do it here. It's like, well, I just don't feel comfortable. Well, it might be outside your comfort zone, I get that. But perhaps that's something we died to. That we get before God and say, you know what, my comfort cannot be more important than your commands for me. And I want to get comfortable with halal, or I want to get comfortable with tequila. I want to get comfortable to praise you in these ways, to be in your presence. I don't, it doesn't matter what other people might think of me or what I'm doing right now. I just want to praise you this way because I'm been set free. And that maybe, maybe the loudest sabach, the loudest roar going on in our city is not because the Atlanta United won. It's not because of the Bulldogs or the Yellow Jackets. It's not because Taylor Swift has a concert downtown but the people of God celebrating that they've been set free from sin and death. May our praises rise up because God is worthy of it. And may we move in a direction where that becomes more normative. Like, yeah, sure, some people might visit and go, oh, that was a little outside the box. Like, a lot of people raising hands, a lot of people moving around, a lot of people just kind of roaring, they were loud, all this kind of stuff. But I tell you what, those people sure seem to love God. And there's something about being in there that felt like his presence. And that's my hope for us. And it's not to shame you, like, hear me, like some Sundays you might still have your hands in your pockets and not be as engaged. But it's to encourage you to step out of that. Say, God, I think invites us into so much more with our bodies, with our emotions, as we worship through song. And so, um, as we've done with these psalms, um, we're supposed to meditate, we're supposed to reflect almost on them. And so, we want to wrap up each message with a time of like reflecting on the text, just ask a few questions to let you sit in them. And so, I'm going to invite uh, Sarah back up to do that uh, and to, to lead us in that and then lead us in communion.